It is often in the crucible of suffering that we come closest to God. He hears us, He understands us, and He cares. The Lord will move a whole (coughs) empire to make sure that His people are cared for. And He's proven that many times. If you don't understand the power of prayer, you don't understand what God is willing to do for us, His children. If He would send His own Son to die for us, how much more would He do to preserve us, protect us, and to grow us up in what we should be? This morning we continue to look at the faith journey of different groups, and we're looking this morning at the faith journey of a whole nation, the nation of Israel. You know the story. The northern kingdom had fallen into deep and degrading sin. They had done wickedness far beyond any understanding. For 200 years, the prophets had talked to them about that and and proclaimed the truth of God. That they could not continue in the path that they were going. They killed the prophets. They turned their ears away from God. They continued to sin. And because of that, the prophets told them that when your judgment is complete, there won't be many of you left. And that was true. The northern kingdom was gone. The southern kingdom, Judah, had not sinned as the northern kingdom. They had not taken advantage of the poor like the northern kingdom. They had had not sacrificed their own children for prosperity's sake. And I mean literal sacrifice. Judah had sinned though, and they did not repent. And when God took them away, Judah was taken away to Babylon, whereas the Assyrians slaughtered the northern kingdom. And there, for three quarters of a century, they remained in solitude and servitude to a pagan nation. One of the Psalms is written by some of those people that were there. And they said, how can we sing the song of the Lord in a pagan land? When we can't see the river Jordan, we hang up our instruments and we weep. It's understood that they realized their sin. They confessed their sin. And God heard them. And God continued to watch over them. And when time had arrived for them to come back to the land, God made arrangements for that. He called out to a wicked king, Cyrus the Great, who did not worship him. And he gave him the opportunity of a blessing if he would be obedient. Amazingly, he heard and he responded and he was blessed. And as I've told you before, if you don't think Cyrus the Great was made great, you need to go over to Europe, especially the Middle East. Cyrus the Great, the founder of the Persian Empire, is still credited with being the father of Iran and the Persian culture. God blessed him beyond any measure. 
His name is still great there. But he listened to God. Even though he did not worship God, he listened to God. Now, now think about that. Think about the Christians that come to worship but never listen to God. Here's the sad truth. God doesn't want your worship. You know, one of the, one of the sins that happened toward the end of Saul's life was that he had forgotten what true relationship in religion was about. God had told him through the prophet to go out and, and to destroy a people who were wicked and destroy everything, the men, women, the children, uh, the livestock, everything. And he brought back some of the livestock. And the prophet came and said, what is this bleeding of sheep? What is this noise I hear? And he and his arrogance said, I thought I'd bring them back to sacrifice them to God. The prophet made one of the greatest statements that was ever made in the Old Testament. He said, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken is better than the blood and the sacrifice of lambs. In that lesson, we understand that God expects obedience out of His people, even us. And I want to think today for a little bit about what God expects out of us in our faith journey. We are not the nation, and, and I know here, I, I, re, I refer to the nation in general as Israel or the children of Israel, yet this is the nation of Judah that's coming back. That's all that's left. But I want to think about how God relates to us in this way. God makes some things very clear to us, and we'd better hear it. Because trust me, we are at a point in the history of our nation that everything can go the wrong direction in a hurry. And unless you've not paid attention over the last few years, we're headed that way. God is not honored and respected anymore in the hallowed halls of our government. He's ignored and overlooked, even mocked. We stand aside and put up with this. Churches are being burned. And as one friend of mine pointed out, really doesn't matter because most of them are empty. Some years ago, I had the opportunity of going and studying, studying at uh, Cambridge University at St. Edmund's College. And it shocked me to find out that some of the greatest cathedrals in the United Kingdom are basically empty. They have what they call Evensong, which is very beautiful. In the afternoon on a Saturday or Sunday, a, a group of volunteers will come and they'll sing and people come to hear them. But there's no worship. People have fallen away. And in America, that's happened to us. So please heed what Ezra is saying and understand the importance of this. The first thing God made clear to them was this. God is not concerned about institutions. He's concerned about individuals. Nations don't matter to him, really. Do you know where First Baptist Church will be in eternity? Or Selma, Alabama, or even the United States? It will be nowhere. This building will be destroyed. 
Its records will be gone. Its history will be wiped away as far as the printed history. But God cares about the people who flow through here. They call this church their home, the body of Christ. The United States will not live in eternity. Neither will Selma. God cares about his people. And he loves you. And he wants you to be obedient to him. God is not concerned about man-made things. He's concerned about man. He is not concerned about what we see as important. But only what he acknowledges as important. Isaiah 45 says the Persian emperor Cyrus is the only foreigner that God ever gave the name Messiah to. Now think about that. The term that would be given to our Lord one day as a Savior was given to a pagan man. He was called the Messiah, and he was the Messiah through their God. He rescued them, for God willed it. You say, how could God do something like that? You know what? When God wants to save his people, he will raise up a Savior or a Messiah. He will deliver them through the hand that he calls. Don't ever underestimate who God will call to do his work. Does not have to be a perfect person. You know how I know that? Because he uses us. And we're not perfect. God has a way of fulfilling His will in this world. And if we'll listen to Him, and if we will obey Him, we too will be changed. Now, God has a way of speaking that is so powerful and so sure. We don't have to be afraid. Let me give you some advice. Find the electrical connection for your television and unplug it. Write down the times you would spend listening to your television and spend that time praying. You're awfully quiet. I don't hear an amen. Am I frightening you? Do you realize that many times you're hearing the voice of wickedness, of sin? Now, I know you don't intentionally do that, but that's what they're telling you. They're going against the will of God. And we've got to understand that. The only voice you need to listen to is the voice of truth. And that's the voice of God. You cannot allow the devil to speak in one ear and the Lord to speak in another and really fully understand what God is saying to you. Don't get distracted. Spend your time praying and not watching. Because if you pray more than you watch, God's will will be done. You don't have to see it. You don't have to be there. It seems like we've turned into a world of gossips. 
We want to know what's going on immediately when it comes about. I remember as a little child going through the, the grocery store line, and this was before even they had the inquire, inquiring minds want to know. This was when they had all the, remember the Hollywood magazines? And, and people wanted to keep up. Then they had the, the soap operas, and, and people just wanted to keep up. They couldn't miss their program. One who trusts God and loves God does not have to be in the know. They just need to be connected with God. Some people come to church to keep up with church members, not to keep up with God. And they love to pander in information that, that's, that's half-truths and no-truths and lies. And it hurts. One of my favorite people in the New Testament was a man named John the Baptizer. Not just because we're named after him. In fact, I, I said a long time ago and ended up getting published in, 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 in guideposts, I made the statement during a big raucous fight that the Southern Baptists were having when the convention was in Atlanta. I just made a quote to somebody, and, and I said this. I said, if John the Baptist knew what we were going to do with his name, he would have probably sprinkled. I get quoted. But I was be telling the truth. John the Baptist didn't have to be there to know things were okay. He was in prison, and he sent his disciples to Jesus. And he believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and it was time for him to reveal himself. And he sent his disciples, and they said this. They said, we are from John, and we're asking you on his behalf, are you the one, or should he look for another? And Jesus confirmed that he was the one. John the Baptist didn't have to be there. Although he was there on earth as Jesus came into his Messiahship and he was in heaven when he ascended to his glory after he was resurrected. He didn't have to be there to know how to pray and how to care. We need to learn to do that. God wants us to look to him alone. He's our only inspiration. Our only inspiration. He is our sole influencer in all that we do. I've never liked trends very much. I would rather read C.S. Lewis and Oswald Chambers and Amy Carmichael and people like that than any of the modern teachers that seem to itch, uh, tickle people's ears and cause them to feel like they're remembered. I'd rather read those who are based on truths that go way back, that have stood the test of time. And God wants us to look to Him and to Him alone, not to others, not to teachers. A preacher a long time ago, Gresham Machen, said this. He said, when you preach the sermon correctly, people shouldn't shake your hand when they're going out of the church. They ought to hit you because you've really confronted them with the gospel. And they're struggling with it. And sometimes I think we forget about the importance of that. We've made it into a popularity contest to serve the Lord. And it's not. It's not. God has a perfect plan for us to grow closer to Him. And like His Son Jesus, 
That's the only faith journey we can have. To grow closer to Him means we have to separate from the world, and that's a tough thing to do. Our trust and our faith has to be in Jesus Christ and Him alone. It's not you and God in this thing together. I remember the, remember the bumper stickers and, and especially the license plate that used to say, God is my co-pilot. I hope you didn't have one of those. It's not you and God. It's God alone in you that changes you. It's God carrying you with His strength through His Holy Spirit. It's not the two of you tag-teaming. It's what He can do through you when you can do nothing else on your own. I can't help but stand up here and look at Harold Spear and remember the Sunday that he was struggling with whether or not life would continue. Many surgeries and many, many doctors and many, many treatments and, and suddenly he was right back at, at, at the first point. And this church prayed and God heard. And it didn't happen in 20 minutes or two hours or two weeks. It happened immediately. Immediately. We didn't do that. I didn't do that. God did that. He does that to show us that He is God. He can do whatever He wants to. Don't fret and wring your hands and worry about what's going to happen to the future here. I'll tell you about the future of this world. It's going to burn one day. It's not going to last. You know all that money you spend renovating your house? I, I know I do. You go from one end to the other. When you get to the other end, you have to go back to the first and start over again. It's just, it's, it's amazing what we do, yet our homes are not going to last forever. People are going to live somewhere forever. But thirdly, I want you to realize this. The faith journey is not a convenient journey. It's not easy. It's not simple. It's not always straightforward because sometimes God tells us things that we just don't understand. But then again, it's not about our understanding. It's about our obedience. And that's a hard thing to do. When the nation was freed from the Babylonian captivity, and Cyrus the Great, the Persian emperor, was leading them, it says they had to go up, go up, bring them up, and he brought them up, it says. Because you see, Jerusalem was a much higher elevation away from Babylon. The returning Jews would literally have to go up to Jerusalem. Here's what I want you to think about. Are you going up in your life right now? Are you climbing to higher heights? Or are you just simply doing the same thing over and over and over again? Our faith journey is not an easy one to travel. It's an uphill struggle. The child of God must be prepared to make sacrifices. Evan Roberts, one of the men that was involved in the Welsh revival, said, Lord, bend the church and save the world. Now think about that. Bend the church and save the world. There's a song that, that we could have sung, and, and you all know it. It's not in our hymnal, but uh, it, about every other song's in our new hymnal. 
But this is an old one out of the Broadman hymnal and the old Baptist hymnal. My heart has no desire to stay where doubts arise and fears dismay. Though some may dwell where these abound, my constant aim is higher ground. That's a hard thing to do sometimes. It's tough. It's a weary walk. It's frustrating. Many vessels had to be carried to Jerusalem. They carried them proudly. You carry a vessel, the Holy Spirit, and you carry the cross, which is your journey to death. You're willing to die for him. How important is that? I've always respected teachers. I've respected them so much that I became one. And I've taught in a number of colleges and universities. And I'll share with you a story I heard many years ago. An old man was sitting out on a park bench having his lunch and, and the beauty of the spring. And a young man walked by and slowed down and looked at him. And he spoke to him and he says, do you remember me? The old man laid down his egg salad sandwich and looked up as he dusted his hands off, and he said, I'm not sure. I've had many students over the years, and I can't remember every one of them. He said, you remember, I was in your class back in 1961. My name is Robert. He looked and he said, well... No, I don't remember. Tell me what you're doing with your life, Robert. And Robert said, well, I became a teacher. The old teacher looked up and smiled, and he said, well, I hope I was a good influence. And he said, yes, you were. I became a teacher because of you. He said, really? What influenced you to do that? And he said, oh, I can tell you exactly what it was. He said... When I was in your class in the 10th grade, I was very rebellious. I was going through a tough time at home. And he said, I really wanted to just give up. But he said, I turned to the worst thing I could turn to. When I saw something I wanted, I took it. And a boy in the class had just gotten a brand new wristwatch. And it was one that I wanted badly. And while he was out of the room going to the restroom, I reached over and I took his watch off the top of his desk where he'd laid it. He said, you remember what you did? And he said, I, I, I'm pretty sure. He said, you, when the boy came up to you and said someone had stolen his watch, you looked around and asked for the person who had taken it to turn it in, to give it to you at that time. And nobody did. He said, I sat there with it in my pocket, with my hand on it. And then you said this. You said, I want to do something now. I want everybody in the room to close your eyes. And I'm going to go around, and I'm going to check your pockets. And I'm going to find that watch. And he did that. Everybody closed their eyes, and he walked around, and he finally got the watch. He walked to the front of the desk, and he said you can open your eyes now, I, I, I have the watch. He gave the watch back to the young man. And he said, what amazed me is you never confronted me with that after that. You never said a word to me. 
He said, I for once in my life felt forgiven. He said, I felt shame on one hand, but I felt forgiveness on the other. And he said, you changed my life that day. The teacher said, I remember that situation well. Let me tell you the rest of the story. He said, because your eyes were closed and everybody else's, you didn't realize my eyes were closed too. And I don't know who had that watch. I didn't want to know. Here's the essence of the teaching here that is so godly. If to correct someone you have to humiliate them, you don't know how to teach. God did not humiliate the nation of Israel for their sins. They were forgiven when they were forgiven. They were given back all the implements and the articles that were part of worship. They were brought back safely, not punished, not acknowledged. They didn't wear a scarlet letter. They were loved. And as we walk on our way to Him, our journey of faith to Him, we've got to understand that God forgives to the uttermost. He says your sins are remembered no more. But until you begin that faith journey, you will never find your way back to Him. You may make it to heaven, but you'll never be able to accomplish all that God wants you to because He wants to use you. The greatest gift that can ever be given in all the world is not a home in heaven. Oh, many people are going to get a home in heaven that, that, that love Him and confess their sins and accept the gift of Jesus. But the greatest gift can be going to heaven and hearing Jesus say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what we strive for. That's what we desire. And on your faith journey, look for that. Apprehend that. Relish that and share that. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that your love surrounds us. It blesses us and strengthens us. It gives us the inspiration we need. And it also challenges us to be more than we are. God, I pray as we consider this, the story of your nation, we'll understand that that story is speaking to us. It's not just his, history. It's our reality. It's who we need to be. For we have been in bondage as a nation. We have sinned greatly. We've not obeyed you, Lord. The church has gone through wickedness In sin, we have watered down your gospel. We have not lived circumspect lives. And the reason that the nation has turned on you, America, is because we've not presented a true picture of who you are, Lord. We have failed. But God, you still love us. And I pray that we would repent for truly a great awakening does not occur when a nation repents, but when your people repent. And I pray that we today would do that, that we would be obedient to you.
Father, speak to someone now that needs to make that decision to change. Speak to someone that needs to give their heart to you, Lord, and they haven't. Speak to someone that needs to come to this altar and pray or, or come forward and join this church. Whatever the need, whatever the desire that the Holy Spirit is inspiring you with, may you move quickly and faithfully to Him. For without that, Lord, we'll never find you and we'll never walk with you. Lord, bless someone today in the decision that they make. For it's in your holy name we do pray. Amen.